Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Lena Khatib. And I'm Claudia Musical. And today we will be talking about the movie Marie Antoinette. So just some basic facts about the movie so we're all on the same page. Marie Antoinette came out on October 20th, 2006 was its premiere date. As a runtime of 123 minutes, roughly. It is written and directed by Sofia Coppola and stars Kirsten Dunst, Jason, Jason Swartz, Swartz. I can never pronounce his last name, even though it should not be that hard. <laughs> you want me to? Jason Schwartzman. Yes. Judy Davis and Rip Torn. It had a budget of $40 million and it made $60.9 million in the box office. It was produced by American Zootrope and... Okay, this is going to be hard because it's Japanese for me to pronounce. Yes. I'm the worst at pronouncing things in general. It doesn't even matter the language, but it's Tohokushinashi Film Corporation. I totally probably butchered Woo! that, <laughs> but hopefully that was right. And also the Commission de Film France because a lot of the movie was filmed in France. And yes. Columbia Picture was like the big production company that also distributed the movie. It won an Oscar for Best Costume Design and was nominated for about f- 15 or 16 awards. I didn't write down exactly which, how, what number for just in general, not Academy Awards. The movie had a total of 477 cast and crew members, which is like such a drastic difference between Titanic that we talked about last week. Like, What was that number? Do you remember ballpark? It was like over 2,000. So okay, okay. This is I like, mean, it's still big, though. You know what I yeah. mean? It's still kind of big in the scheme of things. And then before I forget, the logline. What is this movie even about? So according to IMDb, it is the following. It's the retelling of France's iconic but ill-fated queen Marie Antoinette from her betrothal and marriage to King Louis XVI at 15 to her reign as queen at 18 and to the end of her reign as queen and ultimately the fall of Versailles. Great, great. And obviously, this is based on a true story, folks. So, right. <laughs> uh, you know, but they do take some liberties, but it's it's history. It happened. Yeah, which I when I was watching the movie, I was like, I wonder how accurate this movie is, because I did see that it was based off of a book written about Marie Antoinette. Yes, which here's the thing, you know, it was so long ago that I think there can be a lot of biographies written and they can try to go off of facts, but you're still always going to not really, they can put their subjective like feel on what they think of the person still a lot of times in biographies. So I think a lot of biographies on historical figures, they lean in certain ways on how they want to portray them. And then there's, like, rumors, and it's hard to prove everything from back then, so it's fact, it's fiction, too. I was going to say, like, it's so interesting that she chose Marie Antoinette, of all historical figures, to make a movie about, because she is the one that we notoriously know the line, let them eat cake, but then it turns out she didn't say that line, so it's kind of like, this is somebody who, like you were saying, like, how accurate is the information that we know about them? Right, yeah, I think... As much as you can know facts about a person's life, this is really telling that just because you know the facts doesn't really mean you know that much about them and who they are. Right. And I felt like the movie overall had like a sympathetic approach to Marie Antoinette in the life that she lived. 
And when I was watching it, because I've, I've seen the movie before, and I know you have too, and I think when I watched it, I was kind of like 18 or 19. Mm-hmm. I think I, I was. was yeah, I was pretty young uh, compared to how old I am now. But, <laughs> you know, I was, still, I was pretty young. Adolescence. Yes. I, and it didn't hit me then, but it hit me now, like how young Marie Antoinette and King Louis the Sixteen really were because, like, she was 15 when they got married. Right. Like that's they were teenagers ruling a country, which is like which, insane. It's insane, but it was so common back then because you know, um the king in the movie, I think it's Louis the 15th maybe. Um he was 5 when he became king and oh then my God. <laughs> you know, he didn't really have power at 5. He started actually ruling when he was 13 and considered a man enough to rule so it's just it's interesting because it's very young to us but it's we also have to marry that with the fact that these things happened young back then common right you know it's more like a modern like you know late 20s early 30 year old when you're like 15 (laughs) I guess but that's that's what I think is hard to know like can we really know how it was back then you know like how teens were were they different were they the same and I think the approach that Sophia takes is she wants to make it that they're the same as they are today which I don't know if I agree with or not it could be but it also could be that they had to mature faster and it could also depend on the individual I don't know well I what I really appreciate about her take of having them feel like modern teenagers in the movie because the whole movie has like a whole modern feel to it with the music and everything which we can talk about the music in a little bit, but I did want to say that having that modern take kind of made it more relatable as historical figures. Like it felt sometimes I feel like with historical period dramas, they make these people so like grandiose. And so like they were these giant beings and historical figures and they were so great. And I feel like sometimes we just put them so much on a pedestal that they become less, human and so i liked this approach because it showed like oh she was just a woman who got married and yeah she was the queen of france but like even the way that they lived was so detached from everybody else you don't see yeah. a single non-royal in the entire movie i mean and you I don't have to deliberate leave versailles i mean maybe a little stint at the paris opera i think but you don't even leave versailles and that's like such a small amount of what france is to be the ruler of France and just be stuck in this little bubble. Yeah. And it like, it made it so clear to me, like how these rulers could be so out of touch because they literally had no idea. Like they weren't even there. They weren't seeing it. They weren't experiencing it. They just like, kind of like had the, uh, what, whatever that is, like the guy that talks to the King and like gives them some information about what's going on. Like that's all they had to really know what was going on. Which I get, but I also, I'm very, very torn about this movie because I understand that it would be easy to be detached, but there have been rulers throughout history who have gone above that, and I don't know if it's because they had help with their elders or because that's who they were inside, but they decided to look outside of their royal life and try to take interest in the country that they were ruling because they understood that they were in charge of this country and it meant something to them. So that's my issue. With right. it, which we can dig into that which, more. I mean, you're right, because I didn't really... I that mo- This movie makes me forget that they're rulers. Yes. In a way, because I'm like, oh, shit, Claudia, you're so right. Like, 
why weren't they ruling? Why weren't they talking to their people? Why weren't they doing all this? Why were they insisting on staying at Versailles all the time? They and had I, that responsibility at the same time. Like, yes, maybe it had already been the culture to just live a lavish lifestyle and not pay attention. Because, you know, maybe that started with their parents and stuff and just the culture. I but... was going to say, the movie emphasizes so much how, like, it was her duty. It was her job consummate the marriage and to like produce an heir and that's all that they wanted out of her and that's all that her parents wanted out of her in the allyship and there was never like a moment where like they wanted her to be queen like a good queen and to rule the people and like that was just completely like tossed away it seems like in the movie in the way that it was portrayed which oftentimes for women that probably was the case they were just like literally be a baby factory do your job that's right which to me, like, that kind of, I felt like watching that and, like, getting that empathy for Marie Antoinette had me thinking, like, we've put so much blame on Marie Antoinette as being, like, you know, the face of the French Revolution. Like, she was the one spending all this money. She was the one doing this. Yeah. Said, yeah. let them eat cake. Like, she's at fault. And I just feel like it just further perpetuates this idea that, like, women are always, like, to blame for situations or things that happen when right. it's like Lou- King Louis was incompetent he wouldn't even touch her she would like try to like you know get him excited but he wouldn't even like touch her and she was just trying to be patient and trying to be like a good wife whatever that meant at the time he was the one making decisions about like sending French uh, soldiers to America and like he was making all the decisions for the country like we don't see Marie Antoinette making any single decision for the country. The only decision we see her make is she's like, oh, well, maybe get the uh, younger trees since they're less expensive. Like, that's kind of, like, what she does. Which, yes, that is what she is set up for, so I try to have some empathy, but at the same time, there have been similar rulers of different countries in similar time periods who had the same situation, being a woman, you don't have power, you're a baby factory, get married, who fought against that. If you just look at, say, someone like Queen Elizabeth, who chose never to get married so that she would never lose her power and never just be a woman for making babies, you know? And she fought for her country because she decided to care about that. Why? I don't know. But there's just that contrast. Right. Which then I would say that the difference is like Marie Antoinette never really would have ruled Austria and she, her marriage was like a peace deal. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so it's, it's, it's a different situation, but I do also see what you're saying where it's like, she could have also been like, you know what? I'm the queen of France now. This is my new home. I'm going to rule and I'm going right, to bring this which- country. Let me mention one other thing, because, okay, Queen Elizabeth, she was already born of England, so she was kind of the heir, although it was harder for a woman to take power because nobody wanted that, even if you were the rightful heir. But we also have Queen Catherine of Russia, who was, right, and she moved in, and she was not even Russian, but somehow she ended up in power until her late, late years and was considered a great empress of Russia. So that would be more comparable to Marie Antoinette. I'll give you yeah, that. Yeah, that was a good example, which it's so interesting because I saw the similarities between this movie and the show The Great. Yes, and while I was movie, watching it, which are all connected down the line, yes. I think. And, and I think this movie paved the way for things like that. 
I was yeah. going to say, I wrote down when I was watching, I was like, I think this was the first, like, fun historical genre type yeah. of movie show. I don't even, fun historical drama doesn't even make any sense. I don't know if that's clear to people, yeah. but it's kind of like. Well, it's that. fun. It's rule breaking. It makes the characters more realistic and more relatable. And it also, I think, you know, it does that by taking these, like, anachronistic elements where it's not exactly historically accurate to make it more relatable to the audience. Yeah. And I can't think of anything before Marie Antoinette that so purposefully did that. I can't either. And I don't know if that's just because I haven't seen it. If anybody knows, please let us know. We will watch it. But I don't think there is. Big mainstream way. This definitely did that in 2006. Yes. So something before... I won't disagree, but I do think maybe this was the most mainstream, influential version of that that occurred first. Which, let's do it. Let's talk about the music then, because the music is a huge part of how that... Yeah, so for the music, we kind of have a mixture of new wave, post-punk, and actual period piece music. So just to let everybody know what is actually, what you're hearing in it. Yes. So it's eight. New wave, post-punk, and then actual accurate music. And what I've noticed, and correct me if I'm wrong, the actual music of the time is only played by, like, the piano or, like, if they're at the opera or it's kind of more, like, in-the-scene music. Like, I don't know what the terminology is versus, like, just kind of, like, playing music on top of what we're watching versus, like, music that's happening live in the scene. Yeah, you, know you mean you're right. right. I'm trying to explain. Yeah, I totally yeah. get what you mean. I don't think I paid close enough attention to say if I know that for sure, but you're probably right. Although, you know the masquerade scene? I thought it was kind of interesting because they play Hong Kong Garden and they when the song stops, the dance stops at the ball and the music ends. It's I still think it could be said that it was like overlaid on top and not in the actual scene and just like they synced it up to happen to be that way, but it also kind of really puts you in it by yeah. speaking up like that. So just well, that's, that's something I really idea. noticed. Okay. Yeah, it is. But yeah, I think the music only further adds to that adolescent feel. Cause I even think the genre of like new wave and post-punk, that was like, it's a very young kind of genre. Like it feels very teenage to me. I agree. Like, a lot of those songs, I'm like, oh, my God, I haven't heard these in so long. Because I used to listen to all those songs um, when the movie came out. I was a teenager. So, like, literally, that's the stuff I was listening to. Right. And it just, it perfectly captures the feel of being a teen. Even more, like, at first, before I really thought about it, I thought it was, like, punk. And I think punk is even a little too mature for this. It has to be post-punk to really capture that teen feeling of the early 2000s. (laughs) Yes. Which is so great. It Um, definitely is. And so, you know, that... I think Sophia got a lot of criticism for that. Like, people who had negative things to say about the film disliked that element and were mad. They were like, why would you put modern music on this? And with that, I completely disagree. Okay, that's so funny, because hearing you say that, I'm like, wow, so Sophia Sophia Coppola got a lot of flack for doing that in 2006. But then... When The Great Gatsby came out and Baz Luhrmann did that, 
They thought it was genius. You are so right. Oh my God, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, so once again, I feel like she was just like the one who actually did it first and like broke through that barrier for other people and coincidentally white men to succeed after that, which who knows? I don't know about that, but. Yeah, we'll just just leave that thought with you and you can get to your own conclusions on that one. (laughs) Yeah, go for that. That's why, you know, when I read the different negative and positive, like, film reviews and criticisms, I agreed with both of them, except for people being mad that she put all these modern flares on it. Because I was like, no, that was such a deliberate choice that worked well. But I don't know. I guess I could go into why I dislike some things in it, that I agree with some of those reviews. I wasn't sure what the statement was on the lifestyle at the court. I wanted to have empathy with Marie, but I couldn't help but be criticizing it because we know the story of the French Revolution. We know why, you know, royalty was overthrown. And we have seen things like Les Miserables. And it tells us the other side of the story that we didn't see in this. I kind of get mad at them at a point because I'm like, you guys, your life is just vapid. Do something. You can still have fun, but do something. Please, someone in this fucking story sorry well, i would argue that there is like she shows how vapid these people are with all those shots of like the cakes and the eating and the drinks like you just see how a lot of it's not even like nobody even eats it and it's just tossed away and yeah. i think that the breakfast scenes like part of what I noticed in those breakfast scenes that every single time there's like this giant display of food and it's different types of food and they have lobster and they have caviar and they have like all these like luxury foods Mm -hmm. for just King Louis and Marie Antoinette and they just eat a couple of bites and then they leave and it's just like this excessiveness right even like her hair her hair is physically so excessive Which, that's something I like about the movie. I do, because for me, it almost felt like all these people were depressed and all they had was, like, hedonism and excessiveness to fill their life. So I really feel like they weren't happy deep down inside. And so it was a coping mechanism for them. In a way, hearing you say all that, I'm like, it needed to end. The royalty thing all needed to end because, like... Yes, they had food and they had all these things and they had all these privileges, but you're saying they were also extremely miserable. Obviously, it's nowhere even remotely close to what the people were dealing with in the revolution. But even like the nice end of it is really not nice either. Like it needed yeah. to hit that point of just extremeness in order, I think, for the French people to really get infuriated enough to be like we're just stopping this whole thing and essentially behead the rich which i think is something a lot of people are talking about in this country today (laughs) so kind of familiar (laughs) familiar, you know off with their heads but it's just it is sad when you think of the individuals who didn't have a lot of control but there's something in me which i don't know what this is the whole movie i was just like god you guys just fight for it do something come on (laughs) That's so funny because, like, for me, the whole movie, I was feeling, why the fuck are these kids running the country and making decisions? That's how I felt. I was like, why are these the people making decisions for everybody else? Like, all you hear about is parties and, you know, 
that's it. All you care about is going to parties, having parties, indulging in things, having new clothes, you know, having your like little puppies, like all you know. Teenagers, which I think I, I do want to mention, I think Sophia is absolutely wonderful at capturing the teenage experience. It's a common theme for her, and she's very good at it. And she could yeah, even do that in that setting, you know, like we're sneaking out to a party, we're shopping, and I'm a popular girl in the popular club now. Like that was all there, which right. is like all teenage things. Right, which is, like, I felt that teenage stuff so strongly. And, like, you know I love teenage stuff. Like, those I are do. my favorite things. And I, I, yeah, I just felt, like, how are these people ruling? It blew my mind that this was so normal because there were God-appointed royals, which is, like, such a weird concept for me because I'm, like, what, what, what? <laughs> like, you know? Yeah. <laughs> It doesn't make like, a lot of sense. My ancestors did not do any of that. It was not God-appointed rulers. <laughs> right, right. And then I did write a note where I'm like, we have a lot of scenes or moments in the movie, specifically like in the beginning of the movie, where Marie Antoinette is undressed and then dressed by people. Yeah. I I feel like there's some sort of symbolic Point that's happening there and I don't know if I connected the dots yet but I wanted to bring it up I because- feel like maybe it's just about ownership like she was definitely treated like property yeah I don't know if that's exactly your point but that's kind of what I felt you know like obviously they took away her dog they took away all of her belongings it was like you're our property now you've been sold by your family to us Right, and, like, having that, like, scene in the beginning where, like, she walks through the tent. Yeah. It's in Austria, the other side is in France, and... Which, that's one of my favorite scenes. I like that scene a lot. And I guess another thing that came up a lot during the movie that I wrote down was just the feeling of distance and loneliness that Mm -hmm. I realized was in a lot of Sophia's films. I feel that a lot. And it's... It's. I think it's impressive when you can create that strong of a mood and feeling. Always. I agree. And I felt that too. Like, she felt alone in the beginning. She felt alone in her marriage. You only have a few moments where there's, like, glances and smiles between the two of them where I'm like, okay, there could be some sort of, like, love here. Yeah. That's- like, in a more platonic way. Yeah. I also noticed there wasn't... There's not so, so much dialogue. And I think that's kind of the case in a lot of her movies it's not super dialogue heavy so I think a lot of it it lets us be the observer which is an interesting take you know I like to be an observer that's kind of naturally how I approach my whole life I just like to observe first so and then take more of an active part but that's I don't not every film just lets you observe quite as much as hers do right which on that like observation note, I wrote this note because I just felt like this moment or the scene uh, was so funny to me. That wedding night bed scene where they're all just like standing there, like yeah, like watching the couple like get in the bed together, and then they close the curtain, and then they all like walk away. Like I thought that was so funny and awkward. It definitely <laughs> was, and I just have to give credit to the performances in the film because, you know, whatever. Sophia wanted, uh, what's her name, Kristen Dunst to be, I think she achieved it because it was like a very clear performance on like who she was. And it was just kind of that 
you know, silly kind of teenage girl, but like she isn't only silly, like she's trying to do her part, but it's impossible in a certain way, you know, because she's she's trying to play by the rules at first. And then I think that's where she just gets lost into this lifestyle instead of trying to like fight, which I can't judge which is right or wrong desperately fighting for power and change and you know possibly putting your life in danger or just taking a more passive you know play by the rules thing which they kind of can both lead in death so at that right right I mean it's an interesting dilemma honestly and like I I don't want to sound like I have so much empathy for the characters, but I am thinking of them as characters in a movie, more so than, like, historical figures, given the context of what we watched, because I do feel like they're characters in a movie. Like, because, like you were saying earlier, we don't really know anything about Marie Antoinette. We can kind of speculate. We can kind of, like, you know read what people have said about her but even that it's like we know people talk shit we know people say like things that are wrong about us all the time yeah so it's like how accurate is even that information or it could Mm -hmm. be the opposite like people praise her way more than she deserved you know i don't know so that happens all the time to this day with people i assure you so So it's like we don't really know because we weren't there. And even if we were there, we weren't living in Versailles. So like we couldn't see it firsthand. But it's just so interesting how you talked about like loneliness. I also felt like part of that loneliness mood in the movie was like feeling so far removed from everything else. Mm -hmm. You know, and so like that's where to me it was so clear how something like the French Revolution did happen because they were so out of touch, out of like so removed from everybody else. And like Mm -hmm. you said, they only went to Paris one time, I think, in the movie, and that was to go to the ball or like maybe twice, I think, for the opera. It was for fun. Yeah, exactly. Where they're with, they're going to be associating with like the upper class at those events, Mm -hmm. and. The only time you see, like, commoners or whatever is at the end when they raid the palace and she's out on the balcony, which I wanted to hear what your thoughts were on that scene. I mean, I love that scene. I think there were a few scenes that I really loved where she... There was one before that on the balcony where it's, like, she's all alone and then it's, like, b- like black behind her, the opening of it, and it just zooms out all the way and shows how alone she is. And then there's the one you're talking about, which... You know, she tries to bow down to them. And I just, I think both just play a lot on the isolation, but I'd also love to hear your thoughts on the mob balcony since you brought it up. Well, I, I'm a little confused by it, to be honest. Okay, I can feel that. I don't know what she's trying to say by bowing down to the people. Because she's, she's bowing, but she's still like elevated. Right. I mean, I feel like it could have been a genuine gesture from her, but it was all she really knew how to do. Like, she felt probably bad in that moment. How could you not when there's, like, people mobbing outside? But if you're her, what else do you do? Right. What else is there to do? Because they, like, say multiple times, they're like, we got to get you out. We got to get you out. She's like, no, my place is here by my husband. But I don't know, because... In another way, I guess the other option I could think of if there was a mob would be to try to speak to them. But at this point, 
she would never do that. So it doesn't make sense for her character. Right. So all she can do is bow because other people might try to speak and talk to them and reason, maybe apologize, do something as a leader, but she's not a leader as we know. So she's no. going to bow. It's kind of like a, just a small, tiny apology and it is kind of meaningless to them, but it's more probably for her in my opinion. It's like, she's this, like you said, she's not a leader. So it's like, she it, sometimes I feel like it's like she doesn't even want to be she doesn't and that's why you know I really am I try very hard not to be judgmental about the fact that she didn't try to be a leader or try to do more I really try it's hard but <laughs> right you know I understand she didn't want that and maybe that was not her nature and that's not necessarily bad because that doesn't need to be everybody's nature right you know it's all like God-born leader stuff. So dumb to me. This is going to happen if you do that. They're going to be people completely incompetent for the job. Right. And people who don't even want to do the job or like have no passion or interest. Right. Which some people, you know, there's always thing that's like, oh, it's like the best leaders are the ones who don't want it. And it's like, eh, I don't know if that's true. You can't want it because you're power hungry. But you also can't really not want it you know what I mean like a happy medium (laughs) yeah they should change that saying I don't think it works (laughs) I don't think it works either because I get the type of person who is able and feels they can step up to their duty but doesn't necessarily want it so badly I think that's the balance do we want to get into like some more fun facts about the movie because I I could go all day honestly about my thoughts about this movie (laughs) we're gonna go into some casting fun facts Marie Antoinette's mother Maria Teresa of Austria the Empress was played by Marianne Faithful which I don't know if everybody's familiar with her, but she was a singer in the 60s and 70s. And she has a whole interesting story herself, but basically she actually was distantly related to the Habsburgs of Austria and then ended up playing this part. I didn't even know she was acting later in this point because she was obviously older then. She was like this hip, popular 60s singer. Asia Argento played the madame du berry or yeah yeah that's her name uh the mistress to the king before the jason schwartzman became the king and she is actually the daughter of dario argento the italian filmmaker who did suspiria i noticed her right away i thought she was absolutely fabulous in the role and very She's so great. She's so yeah. good. And I do have to say, like, it really bothered me how rude Marie was to that character. Okay, that bothered me so much. But like you were saying, the teenage thing earlier, that solidified her in the mean girl, like popular girl click. And right. she was just trying to like fit in by being rude to her. I but- hate I, hate I hated it to you because I'm like, I want them to be friends. <laughs> That's everything that made me so upset and angry in school. Like those dynamics between girls. I just hate it so much. Like it hurts my soul when girls do that to each other. I really hate it. It just was, it was a different portrayal of a mistress than I've seen in a lot of period dramas. It didn't seem so fake. It kind of seemed like she was actually into this old king. So if it was fake, she was great at her job. Her history is actually very, very interesting. She did, as they say, she grew up very poor. Her mother's lover took them in and then she got the pampered life for a while and then was poor again and then became a courtesan. And 
you know, she met with a bunch of different high-level officials until the king. So on that note, Jason Schwartzman is actually Sofia Coppola's cousin. I recently learned that, actually. So that's very interesting because her dad directed his mom, Talia Shire, I don't know if I'm saying that right, in The Godfather. So it's very interesting, these family dynamics of you have these directors and then the actors, and it's like the same generations. And I did recently learn that because I was watching commentary of Rushmore, and oh. Wes Anderson talks about how Jason, Jason, well, I can't even say his name. It's so easy to like struggle with his name. Jason <laughs> Swartzman. There we go. Uh, came from a like film family, and I was like, oh, because when they he was talking about slight tangent, but he was talking about how they were looking for the actor to play the role. I can't remember his character's name, and I literally just watched it. Oh my god, yeah, but the um, lead role in Rushmore. Yeah, the lead role in Rushmore, and they didn't even imagine anybody like him. But when he started reading, they're like, oh my god, he's like perfect. And they actually so didn't want somebody from a film family to like do it. They wanted somebody who was more of like a newcomer. But yeah, that worked out for him in the end. But I, that's where I learned that wow, that is Sofia Coppola's cousin. Yeah, which, you know, I'm not for nepotism, but I'm, I guess I'm not against it if it's warranted and you have the talent, because clearly Jason Schwartzman is very talented. I would never deny him a career and be like, oh, it's just nepotism. Like, no. Right. There right. are cases. I feel like that's the whole thing with life. It's a case-by-case basis. <laughs> yes. Like, there's a nepotism where, like, the person clearly can't act and should stop. Yes. Which... We're talking about Sofia Coppola. I haven't seen her performance in Godfather 3, but I know a lot of people were horrified by it, which I think might have been extreme. I haven't seen it either. I don't so. know. But clearly she pivoted, and now she's one of the best filmmakers of, like, all time, I would say. Yeah, I guess there were also a lot of other people who had connections to the film industry. I wasn't as familiar with them, but it was like a pretty long list of people who had parents who were filmmakers or actors and stuff like that, which I would say that might just be because she knew a lot of those people. And if they were right, they were right. Asia Argento, like she was clearly so right for that role. We talked a little bit about how it was received. And I just wanted to mention that it got both booze and applause at Cannes. A lot of the French thought that, not a lot, it was like 50-50 split, thought that they weren't, it wasn't critical enough of the regime's decadence. You know, but I th think it could be more touchy if that's your history, perhaps, and you feel right. strongly and you know more about it. This was one of the films that they got to film the most of anything in actual Versailles. So they got the French government, let them go in there and do that, which is pretty cool. Uh, this film was actually pretty much as big in Japan as it was in North America. Both, it made about 15 million in North America and Japan, which well, usually... I was going to say, like I said earlier, the, a Japanese company was part of the production team. Right. Maybe... I think Lost in Translation was done before this, and that was shot in uh, Japan. So I think she'd built a little bit of a fan base there, and they really liked her, and so they were ready for Marie as well. Yeah. But, you know, it just shows the differences in cultures, because when Titanic premiered at the Tokyo Film Festival, because we talked about that last episode, it didn't do well at all in Tokyo. Well, I mean, even just hearing you say that, and from my, you know, very brief knowledge on Japanese fashion is 
there's a lot of like French Marie Antoinette style fashion that's popular. I think that adds to it too, is that there is interest in the wardrobe <laughs> more than <laughs> anything. <laughs> yeah, I don't even think we touched on that enough, just how visually and aesthetically great this film is. And I feel like I could bet my life on the fact that I think Sophia, with a lot of the scenes, tried to arrange them like old paintings from the time. Oh, oh, I definitely believe that. I'm so sure because like a lot of the shots were kind of wider showing the whole room, but like tons of people and scenes set up like something happening. Like here's the feast, here's the ball, here's the picnic with all the people lounging. And it just brought to my mind all of those famous paintings from I think like the Rococo period. And I, that's something I really liked about the film. Yes, all the shots looked like beautiful Rococo paintings. And you know, a thought I had when I was watching the movie is, you know a movie's really good and well done when your issues are plot points and not the acting or the set or anything yeah. about what you're seeing. It's more of like, oh, I'm so mad she did this or he did that. When that's yeah. your issue with the movie, like, bravo, honestly, because everything else, you, like, nailed it. <laughs> oh, so interestingly enough, we lost in translation. Marie Antoinette was supposed to be filmed before it, uh, but I guess Sophia kind of got stuck on writing it. And so then she was like, I'm just going to write this other little thing to like take a break and try to figure out Marie. And that ended up being Lost in Translation, which went into production first. Uh, Virgin Suicides, Lost in Translation, and Marie Antoinette, they all feel very similar about that young woman, teen, loneliness scenario. Yeah. yeah. Just different, very different worlds, you know, but all the worlds made them feel very isolated. And my last fun fact would be that... During the filming, there was wine served during all the meals for the cast and crew, because I guess that is a customary practice for film sets in France. That's really funny. (laughs) I don't know how I'd feel about that as a director. (laughs) Yeah, I would not like that either. (laughs) No. (laughs) That's so so French. (laughs) I guess so, but, like, maybe they know how to handle it. I'm just like, I don't trust you people enough. (laughs) Yeah. We're having a clean set. (laughs) Yeah, but do you have some uh, questions? Yeah, let's get into my fun questions. So my first question, and I, I feel like now that we've had our discussion, this is a great question because you've talked about this. Ooh. Who is your favorite casting choice? Because I think the casting in this movie is so good. Oh, that's too hard. I don't know. I'll go first then if you want. Again, I can never say his name, but I thought Jason Schwartzman was so good at, as like King Louis the Sixteenth because he had the right nervousness, awkwardness, like, timidness that the king like needed for that character. Yeah, yeah, he did. And there is something about him that's so like endearing. Is that the right word? Yeah, like you didn't you know? hate him for being such a little. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever he was. Whatever he is. <laughs> yeah. Dork, nerd, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> kind of weak, kind of self-involved. It was just who he was, and he wasn't trying to be mean or anything, so it really worked. No. So it worked. I thought that was a great casting choice. And then I guess I have, I have there's so many good ones. I also loved Rip Torn as the king. Oh, he's so he was so good. <laughs> he 
was so good. I agree because it, like I said, I think it really took away from those stereotypes that we see in period dramas. If the king is like a weak sickling, he's so weak and a little bitch, excuse my language, and like you hate him because he's so weak. But it took away that stereotype. And then the old king is like a dirty, nasty pervert who you hate because he's a pig. But with this, you didn't because you kind of liked him. Like, he didn't really do anything bad. He just had a mistress. He was a little rude with his comment to Marie about the boobs. But, like, (laughs) like, I didn't hate him as much as I hate most nasty old kings in movies. Which, honestly, that line about her, like, bosom just made me laugh more than anything because it's like, this is so ridiculous. But also, it felt so accurate to what a king would even say about like apparently that was true like they have yeah. some kind of documentation of it somewhere like i don't know what but that's allegedly something the king did say about her right and i believe it because men are can be disgusting and right. you know the way that right. they viewed women back then was horrendous i'm not trying to make excuses for him but i just no. i didn't hate that much and I didn't feel like he did anything really bad honestly a lot of kings aka like chopping off their wives heads right. raping people right all that kind of like at least he didn't do that like at least he didn't do that the standard is so low for kings <laughs> okay my top three favorite casting choices I mentioned already Asia Argento just right. did such a good job and then uh Judy Davis who was that really like uptight comtesse uh, I don't remember. I think her name was Anne or something, but she was a snooty one who was enforcing all the rules. And that actress is just brilliant. I actually am watching her right now in the show Ratchet, where she plays the 50s American nurse. So seeing that contrast to that role, to this like snooty uptight lady in Europe at that time was just really fun. She has such excellent body movement. Oh, I mean, obviously... Kirsten Dunst like nailed it I'm like I feel like with these questions I just want to kind of for my own self when I answer I kind of want to like highlight and bring up like some of the supporting actors because I just feel like they don't get as enough oh and sometimes right is that her name from bridesmaids I didn't realize she was in this yeah I thought she was great too yeah seeing her just like bitchy scandalous fun girl I mean, the casting director nailed it, you know? I I thought everybody was good. I had no qualms. I thought Molly Shannon was a fun addition. Wait, who's that? She was one of the, like, bitchy women in the beginning. Oh, yeah, the two of them. Who's, like, moaning Myrtle. Is that Molly Shannon or the other one? Molly Shannon's the other one. Who's in, like, Notting Hill or something, yeah. Yeah, okay, so let's just move on to the next question. Yes. What was your favorite moment in the film? This could be a shot, a song, or a sequence. Okay, I honestly, I really loved the opening shot where, like, it's before anything happens. It's totally out of order, but it's just this shot of her just, you know, laying on the couch seductively with the stockings. Yeah. It's just a great opening shot, in my opinion. I I liked... I think I really liked the shot of when they were in the boat in the water and the like the sun was reflecting mm-hmm. on the water and it just like passed by because that felt yeah. like a painting a lot. And I think that mu- must have been reminiscent of some sort of painting. I OK, this stood out to me and it's standing out to me right now. But I like the moment of after her, her um, brother-in-law, sister-in-law, like have a baby mm-hmm. and she runs into her room, closes the door and like cries because mm-hmm. I loved how, like, it was shot. Like, I liked how close the camera was to her face while she was yeah. crying. Like, yeah. I felt that that was, like, a really powerful way that that was shot. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and it really showed her character because before she was upset about it, she was genuinely happy, it seemed, when yes. she was in the room. But then she went out of the room and these people were talking shit and it just reminded her of herself. And so it was like she was initially happy and then people took it away from her. And this was in the in the point in the movie where they hadn't slept together yet. So it's like she was still like frustrated with, you know, trying to have that happen with her husband. Which, this is also one of my favorite shots, but I did have a specific question about it. Okay, go. (laughs) What did you think of the converse in that shoe shot? How she just kind of threw in a pair of converse in there. Um, I mean, I I don't dislike it. It's kind of fun. It goes with the rest of the thing. It's a little bit more than just having music overlay because you're putting it into the world. So I, I don't know. I don't feel too strongly about it. Like Some people were really mad about it. I read in reviews, but... I wasn't mad, but I wasn't like, oh, I love that. I feel similar. A part of me is like, well, I don't know if I liked it. And then the other part of me is like, well, it was kind of cheeky and fun. And it's like, this is just a movie. You know what I mean? Like, you can kind of just throw things in a little bit. It's okay. Um, Yeah. And it was just so, it's such a brief shot, but it's like still like there. And so I kind of, I don't know. I kind of like it. Like, I think it's just fun. I think you can miss it, too. It's kind of there, but it's kind of not. <laughs> oh, I thought it was... I think it's fun. Like, I like yeah. it. I like but that I'm decision. But I'm not, like, passionate about it, either. Yeah, like, same. Not, like, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think we're in agreement. Like, it was fun, but we're not like, oh, my God, that was the best part of the movie. Like, yeah, there's so yeah, many yeah. other things that, you know, took the cake for us. <laughs> Yeah, and I get the statement behind it. You know, it was once again just that statement of like, she's a teenage girl. Yeah. She relates to you. Okay, continue. Would you live in that time period if you had a choice? And that I don't necessarily mean like, oh, you would have automatically been born into like the poor situation or like in the rich situation. Imagine, I guess, you were born in either one or, you know, maybe you were both like Madam. Dubarry, would you choose to live in that time frame? Um, I mean, that's hard because I like my life now. So is it like I wouldn't have my life now or I could just like have an additional life then? You would have an additional life. Yeah, I mean, sure. It could be very bad. But at the same time, if I was born in a different place than I am now today, it could also be very bad. I think I would try it too because like I just I'm curious to see how accurate our conception yeah right like like yeah I'm like so curious like how accurate the way we think history actually happened actually happened so I'd like to see it and what these people were really like were they more like us were they more dictated by their environment and culture and so it's more foreign to us how they would behave I have so many questions because part of the fun for me with these historical reenactments that are like more fun like this movie like the great like you know, those types of historical pieces is the fact that, like, it feels more relatable. In a weird way, I'm like, this feels more accurate to what these people would have been like to me. But I also, I'm yeah. like, I have no idea. And people feel that way, and I just have to say, I don't know. We have I have questions. one more question. It's also historical related. Which historical figure would you want to do a biopic slash period piece on if you could choose anybody? Whew. Oh my gosh. Okay, I would p- probably pick somebody from like Middle Eastern history just because we don't really yeah. see that as often. But I don't know enough about it myself to pick somebody. 
Because the first person mm-hmm. that comes to mind is um, Um Kathum, who was like a huge singer from Egypt in like the 60s. But then I'm also like, wait, but is there somebody that's like from the 1700s or like the 1600s? Like, I would love to do more research and find somebody because everybody knows like Cleopatra, but like Cleopatra yeah. is not that interesting to me. I feel like there's probably somebody even more interesting that we don't know about. I mean, I thought it was really great how they did the favorite. That wasn't a super like we never see period dramas about that actual queen. Um, yeah. But I mean, I do. I do love the classics because I was like a huge historical fiction fan maybe like first grade to like, I don't know, eighth grade. Like I would read every fictional biography on women historical figures from like Queen Elizabeth to Cleopatra to like everybody, just everybody, everybody possible. Um, Those are the two big ones, obviously. I remember I read my first 2000 page book about Cleopatra when I was in second grade. That is so cute. I was obsessed. I remember the cover. It was dark green and there was like a painting of her. And I just thought it was so cool. It had a lot of inappropriate stuff in it, but I like, I wanted <laughs> For to a be. second grade. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to be Cleopatra. I thought she was so cool. Oh my God. Now I feel so bad for being like, she's overrated, but like, you loved her so much. Okay, I'm over it. There's a lot of movies based on her. So I don't know if we need another one, but. I think the reason why I feel like she's overrated is she's the only like really queen from the Middle Eastern era, like area of the world that we really ever talk about to this scale. Like everybody else right. is like, who are they? Well, I don't know. Like, you know, where well, I was like Nefertiti and stuff. We could get one on her and whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> it's always Egyptians. Like it could not be. Right. Egyptians. Right. Could it be somebody else, please? <laughs> like Whereas with, like, Europe, we know all of the queens and all of the kings, and they've all had their, like, you know, stories told. So it would be nice. And I'm sure people from other parts of the world feel the same way, too, about their history. I just, I feel like we need more diversity in historical stories being told as well. Because I'm sure there were so many cool people from, you know, all of Asia, all of Africa, all of South America. Like, there's just way more places in the world that we don't know the stories. I can't honestly I'm having trouble remembering the other people's names who are less popular but there was this really cool series of books when I was in elementary school and I went to Catholic school and they had them and it was the teenage like fictional autobiography diaries of historical queens but they had them from China and like Africa and stuff like that too and they I read the one on Marie Antoinette they had Cleopatra just their diaries as little teenage girls and I read all of those I rented them all out of that little Catholic library (laughs) That sounds like so much fun, honestly. I think I would have enjoyed reading something like that, too. It was. I was so excited to just go check all of them out at the library because they literally had like 12 of them and (laughs) good memories, good times. (laughs) Well, those were all of my questions that I had today. Okay, so now I think are we coming to the part where we are giving our final rating? Yeah. I'm ready. You go ahead first, then. I give it, I can't decide. It's like a five or six out of 10, but I'm going to give it a six. I was going <laughs> to say, I think I'm going to give it a six or a seven. And okay. I, okay, I love Sofia Coppola, but this is not one of my favorite of hers. Like my personal favorite is The Virgin Suicide, which I hope we do an episode on later on. I'm going to give it a 6.5 between six and seven. And I think it's because. I wanted more. I don't know what more means. I wanted more too. See, I knew you would. I knew you knew it. I don't know what more means, but I want more. 
I wanted more too. I just wanted a little more. And it's hard to define what that is. I think that I either wanted Marie Antoinette to be more like rebellious and like fuck it and go into her hedonism or something else. But but then it's like, would that even be true to her character? Like who she was? If she was more rebellious? It could be. I don't, I don't know. know. It's hard to say. We'd have to look at the facts. And I think for me, what I wanted more of was I noticed in terms of the time of the movie that we were like a little over two thirds of the movie in before they had consummated the marriage. Like that was such a yeah. huge part of the movie, which I thought was a really interesting choice to make it such a huge part of the movie. Yeah. And after that, it kind of just was like, all right, we're fast forwarding to like, you know. It did feel a little sped up towards the end. And I don't even know how I feel about where they ended it. Some people liked it, but I just kind of wanted to see some violence. Like I needed to see those heads chopped. (laughs) I just needed, after all that just boring, vapid life, I was like, show me the result. (laughs) Well, I'm on the opposite end where I'm like, I like that they didn't see that because I also don't like seeing a lot of violence. I also don't think so... Fia Coppola does violence. Like, I don't, you know. Yeah, not so much. Not so much. If it is, it's, like, implied or you kind of, like, see just, like, a little bit. It's not really so graphic. Yeah, I guess I just wanted to feel more jarred about the situation. Because as much as it's supposed to be about this teenage girl, like I said, there are bigger stakes. Because it's the French Revolution. And I know that's not what the movie is about. But it still is what the movie is about, unfortunately. Yeah, and to be honest, parts of it, especially when she had that, like, little side house, I can't, I don't remember what it was called. It felt like a fashion ad. Like, I'm going to be honest. Yeah, it, okay, which I hate to say this, and I don't even care when movies do this that much, but, like, it dragged just a little bit for some parts for me, which in a very beautiful way, I say it dragged. I don't even care. I'm okay with slow-moving movies, trust me. But still, like you said, if it feels a little bit like an ad or a music video or an editorial, yes, that's okay, editorial. but we can't have too much of that, in my opinion. Yeah, because it's still a feature film. We still need to keep the story going, keep the characters going. Um, I think it could have been cut down a little bit. But yeah. Then- or just like, I guess the pacing could have been a little bit different, but this is just me being like extremely nitpicky on the movie. Yeah, like, honestly, <laughs> I'll do what you want, Sophia Coppola. Yeah, like, like if this is the movie you wanted to take out, then great, you nailed it. You achieved your goals. Yeah, it was still great. Still was groundbreaking. It still inspires me. Same. And I I like it. I love it. It's obviously not my favorite movie, but I, I, I would watch it again. And I have watched it again. I don't know. I feel like I'm talking shit about it. I don't know if I'll keep this part in. (laughs) We're We're just literally critiquing it. We still like it. I think that's natural. And it's it's your opinion. It doesn't mean anything. It's like. Right. I don't know. Like everybody has their opinion and it's not right or wrong. Yeah. Yeah. It's literally my preference. And like you said, you you love her. Like I know you love her. I know. And think she's a genius. I know that. I can, I'll share the story before we end today. I met Sofia Coppola a couple of years ago. Uh, I went to a screening of The Beguiled and she did a Q&A. And after the screening, I like went up to her. I was like, oh my God, I have to like say something to her because I like love her so much. I like look up to her. 
And I was starting to tell her, thank you for your movies. You inspire me. And I just burst into tears and started crying. I literally cried in front of Sofia Coppola and I like couldn't <laughs> control myself. And I was like, well, that happened after I walked away. That was kind What'd of embarrassing. What she do? What'd she was she say? Like, she was just like, thank you. And she was like really nice about it. I mean, I probably would have been like, uh, why are you crying? <laughs> but like, she was I so like nice it. about it. Yeah, it's important. I think celebrities should be nice and yeah. artists. I just got really <laughs> overwhelmed in that moment because, like, she is somebody who I've looked up to for a long time, especially when, like, you know, I've wanted to be a director since I was 12. And growing up, there wasn't really a lot of female directors, you true, know, true, true. It was, like less than five that I knew. And she was the only one who I felt like was doing work that honored and respects femininity. Mm-hmm. Whereas I feel like some other female directors were trying to steer away from that just because of how the industry was treating women in general, you know, in the early 2000s and 90s. And historically that like I see the appeal of wanting to run away from femininity in your movies. But yeah, I felt like anyone who was like actually like embracing it. And I feel like that's her staying true for to herself and probably also using her privilege being the daughter of you know, a famous director to be able to do that in the industry. Because maybe if she was more starting up, she wouldn't have had as much opportunity to be as true to herself, you know, and have such like a, you know, bigger budgets and whatnot. So. And you see how much her work influences so many other female creatives. Like she is so many ways. Oh, yeah. So this was like her third movie-ish, right? Do you know? Um, I think so. Let me, I can like pull she it was still, She was still pretty new with this movie. It's really impressive for being a third movie. But she does so many, like, fashion films, which makes so much sense. Yeah, actually, her first movie was Lost, uh, sorry, was The Virgin Suicide, and then it was Lost in Translation. Okay, and then this one. And then it's Marie Antoinette. Yeah, okay. and she did a bunch of, like, short, uh, films in between. Oh, Yeah. But, but yeah. actually, that's highly impressive. And honestly, she solidified her style very well in three films. Yeah, because all three of those movies are iconic. Mm-hmm. I can't believe Virgin Suicides was her first, because that's definitely my favorite as Same. well. We need to do a whole episode on that movie, because I didn't know we that definitely- was her favorite as well. Yeah, circling back. It's definitely my favorite, yeah. All right. I think our last segment we have here is uh, Mary Screw Kill. So, (laughs) would you like to go first, Miss Lena? Okay, so I would probably want to, this is so funny, marry uh, King Louis the 15th. (laughs) I don't know why. (laughs) That's why he came to mind. I don't know, I just feel like he was such a fun man. (laughs) I guess because seeing him in Madame Dubarry, I'm like, oh, I would have had fun with him. Like, he's just like, you know, so playful. Like, I liked his energy. I really uh, love that you chose that. <laughs> it's like so unexpected. See, I told you, I was telling you that I liked him. <laughs> and he wasn't a horrible pig, even though you said the bar was low. Okay, yeah. continue. <laughs> screw. Who do I, I want to screw? I'm like, nobody. <laughs> Come on now. What I thought was attractive. Well, I guess Tom yeah. Hardy's in it, and he's really handsome, so I'll pick I'll pick his character, which is like I always forget he's in this movie. He plays like Ro- 
Ramont or whatever his name is. He's one of like the soldier guys. Huh. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Photo. Because once you look at a photo, you're like, oh my god, that's Tom Hardy. Because he looks so like young. Because he is young okay. in the movie. So I'm gonna pick him just because Tom Hardy's so like handsome. And then kill. Who would I kill? <laughs> I'm like, why Marie Antoinette? It's <laughs> the only one that comes to mind. <laughs> No, well, I guess it just comes to mind because, like, oh, they killed her. So it's, like, the easy answer. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. what I really want to kill? I guess maybe even just King Louis the Sixteen because he's, like, not fit to be king. Yeah, okay. He was just a terrible king. Like, he just, like, was weird. And, like, it's just, it was so weird to me, like, that he, like, made her wait. And, like, what was going on with him? Like, I feel like we don't really know what was going on with him sexually. So, like... I don't know, because a part of me is like, is he just, like, gay? Like, I don't know. Like, is he just not attracted to women in general? Like, yeah. You know? And I don't know if there's, like, more history on that or what was going on with that, but... hmm You know? Which, like, obviously, if that was the issue, no problems whatsoever, you know? It makes it really awkward when he has to have an heir and just... I don't know. Like, I'm just, like, going way too deep into that rabbit hole. But, like, I just feel like yeah, off there and I don't really know what it was. Okay, I hate that you did this to me. But for some reason now I feel like I have to choose to marry, who is it, Louis the 15th? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It just seems like the best option now. I didn't have any answer prepared. But I know who I'm going to screw. It's going to be Madame Dubarry. <laughs> and who am I going to kill? Yeah, it's very hard. It's very hard to know who to kill in this. Because there's, like, they don't portray anyone as being very bad. Um, I don't know. Maybe one of the advisors to the king, because clearly they're not doing their job very well. Yeah. Any one of them. The most incompetent one. I think that's a good choice. Because, yeah, because if the advisors did their job a little bit better, then maybe, like, it wouldn't have gotten so bad. I cannot believe we chose Louis the (laughs) Fifteenth. I know to marry. I'm not over it. I'm not over it. (laughs) You're like so disappointed in yourself. (laughs) I'm so disappointed in myself, but there weren't like there weren't a lot of good options. No, no, not at all. Which this question has me wondering and like thinking like, wow, these people were not good. (laughs) Like they're just like not good people. Like, it was hard to choose anything for any of these because these are, like, the important things that could be done to people, right? I don't want any of that with any of you. And I think that's a wrap. Yeah, that's it for today. Thank you guys for listening if you made it this far. We really appreciate you. We'll have more fun movie reviews for you guys. So until then. (laughs) Ta-ta!